morning. I bring you greetings from England. We've been in England the last two Sundays visiting with our son, and we worshiped last Sunday morning in Borough Bridge at Grace Church. Uh, we were actually in the up, upper room of the public library in downtown Borough Bridge. It's a small congregation of about 11 families, and, uh, but a really, really neat fellowship there. And so Teresa and I had the privilege of being with them uh, last Sunday morning and uh, visiting with our son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren there. So things are going well. We enjoyed it, but it's, as I tell people often, it's good to go, but it's great to come home. So we're glad to be back. And I want to invite you this morning to take your Bible. Let me, let me see your Bible. Now hold your Bible up. You got your Bible with you? You know, that, that's... That's a beautiful sight to a preacher. And I always heard if you want to get rid of a preacher, the best way to get rid of him is amen him and he'll preach himself to death. So um, we take your copy of God's word this morning and turn to the sixth chapter of Genesis. We're going to continue our study of our journey through Genesis. Uh, This has been tremendous. I don't know about you, but I I have enjoyed this. It's, uh, I start to say it's been fun. It hasn't been fun. That's not the right word to use, but it's been very enlightening. It's been very challenging. I know for me, and I'm sure Colby would agree, uh, when for one of the first things I did when I got back was to listen to the message that we had last Sunday, Colby's message, which was, was powerful. It, just, it really just blew me away that the flood reminds us of the seriousness of our sin. It reminds us the holiness and justice of our loving God. The flood reminds us of the love and grace of our holy God. And the flood reminds us of the foolishness of the gospel. The foolishness of the gospel. I want to continue this morning by looking at the flood account from Genesis. And we're going to look at chapter 6 and 7, kind of do a flyover there. And we want to land in chapter 8. But I saw, we're reminded of something I read years ago. Lessons from the flood. And a couple of those I wanted to share with you this morning. One is plan ahead. You know, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Number two is stay fit. When you're 600 years old, someone may ask you to do something big. <laughs> Number three, don't listen to critics. Just get on with the job that needs to be done. And number four, remember the ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic was built by professionals. <laughs> But most importantly, the lesson from the flood is don't miss the boat. Don't miss the boat. You know, the flood is a reminder to all of us of the doctrine of divine retribution. Now, what does that mean? It means that God punishes sin. God punishes sin. Divine retribution. We see this in the flood as God wiped away all flesh from the earth because of their sin, because of their extreme wickedness. Colby read from 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter reminds us, just like God destroyed the earth with the flood, that one day the heavens and earth are going to be destroyed by fire and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And so God has provided salvation for us through Jesus Christ. And so again, we plead with you with all our heart, don't miss God's salvation. Don't miss the boat, which is a relationship with God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a powerful message of, of evangelism through the message of the flood. But this morning, I want to bring a different type of message from the flood, which I think is very clear. And it's a message to the church. It's a message to God's people. 
It's a message about God's faithfulness to his people. Sure, we see the the doctrine of divine retribution. God will punish the wicked. But I want you to know this morning that God cares for his own. God cares for his own. I love the story of the little boy in, in grammar school who was telling his class about Noah and the flood. And he was talking about how Noah built this ark and Noah brought the, God brought all the animals in and how God spared him. And the teacher was not a believer. And she began to ridicule the little boy. And she said, you don't really believe that God flooded the whole world. You don't really believe that Noah built an ark big enough for all those animals. And the little boy said, sure I do. As a matter of fact, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him about it. And she said, well, what if Noah's not in heaven? He said, well, then you ask him. So uh, (laughs) we know this morning that what we're dealing with is a real, it is a real historical account as we will see a little later on. But again, I want to do kind of a flyover chapter six. Look, we, Colby finished down around 13 or 14 last, last Sunday. Let's look at verse 18. God says in Genesis chapter six, verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you shall enter the ark. And you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. God made a covenant with Noah. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to your people. Thank you, Father, that you are a holy God, a just God. You are a loving God, a compassionate God. You are a faithful God. Lord, great is your faithfulness. Lord, we pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts, your people. Lord, that you would remind us of your faithfulness today. Lord, I pray if there's one here today who does not belong to you, who's not a Christian, not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that today would be the day they would come into the salvation of the Lord through Jesus. That they would, by faith, recognize your path of salvation, your way of salvation. They would enter the ark figuratively, enter into a relationship with Christ, that they would be in Christ and find the salvation of our God today. Bless the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Genesis chapter 6, God establishes this covenant with Noah. And this covenant is really amazing. As a matter of fact, next Sunday morning in chapter 9, we're going to look at the sign of that covenant and the details of that covenant. But God says and promises in 618 that he's going to uh, establish a covenant with, with Noah. But let me, let me just say this about this, just kind of give you a, a little preview Chapter 6, verse 9 says that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Kobe mentioned this last Sunday. Noah walked with God. Let me tell you, here's an amazing thing about the covenant that God established with Noah. By Noah's righteousness, his family was saved. By the righteousness of another, people were brought to salvation. Do you see where we're going next week? That God established a new covenant. A covenant in his blood, which we'll celebrate. And by the righteousness of another, his people are saved. So Noah was a righteous man. And by his righteousness, his wife, his three sons, and their wives were all brought to salvation in the ark because of the righteousness of another. Well, again, we'll look at that in more detail next Sunday. But in chapter 6, verse 13 through 16... Here we have a brief study and what I call archaeology. You'll get that in a minute. This is how what the ark looks like, okay? The ark was 75 feet wide. It was 45 feet high. It was 450 feet long. 
Now, for some reason, my background, I want to think in terms of yards, okay? It was 25 yards wide, 15 yards high, and one and a half football fields long, okay? I can, I can relate to that. Roughly, it's been estimated there was 100,000 square feet in the ark. 100,000 square feet. And let me tell you this, this was not a ship. It was not built for navigation. It was not built for go. It was built to survive. It was a box, literally, that God designed, Noah built, for the survival of Noah and his family and the animals. So, God tells us in chapter 6, verse 3, that he told Noah 120 years and then the judgment's going to come. Kobe mentioned this last week, but I thought it was so neat. Methuselah, his name means when he dies, it will come. Methuselah died. Methuselah died and the judgment came. Chapter 6, verse 17 through 22 tells us what God's going to do. Chapter 7 tells us what God did. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 tells us what Noah did while he was building the ark. He preached righteousness. He preached righteousness until the flood came to destroy all of life. So we have God telling us what he's going to do in chapter 6. We have God telling us what he did in chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 1, look at that. Then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark, you and all your household. So we see God calling Noah into the ark. This is to fulfill, again, the covenant that he made, his promise that he made in chapter 6, verse 18. Noah and his family entered the ark and look down at chapter 6, verse 17. Excuse me, chapter 7, verse 16. The Lord closed the door behind him. You see that? This is important. Chapter 7, verse 16. Noah entered the ark and the Lord closed it behind him. There was one door. Noah, all the animals entered into the ark. When God told him, chapter 7, verse 1, come in. Noah obeyed. Chapter 7, verse 16, when they all got in, God closed the door. God closed the door. The end of the call of God. The end of the opportunity for salvation for all except for Noah and his family. The Lord closed the door behind him. What was going on while Noah was building the ark? What was going on around him while Noah was entering into the ark? Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 17. He says they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until, do a word study sometime, go through the Bible and look at the word until, that's a significant word, until they were eating and drinking and marrying until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So we get an idea of what's going on here. I want to point out something in chapter 7, verse 2 that's important. We'll come back to in just a minute. God told Noah, you shall take with you every clean animal by sevens. Okay? Because we always think about the twos, two by two, or all that. Okay. So you'll take clean animals by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his, and his female. So Noah obeyed. Noah entered the ark. As a matter of fact, this is important for us to note here. Look at chapter 6, verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. 
This was the life of Noah. His life was not dictated by what others say. His life was not dictated by the philosophy of man. His life was not dictated by his own feelings, his own emotions. Noah had one standard in his life. That's the word of God. What does God say? What does, it looked really foolish for 120 years to be building an ark. It looked really foolish to be, sounded really foolish to be preaching righteousness to people who didn't want to hear. They're drinking and marrying and going on with life as if nothing's going to happen. Never thinking about tomorrow. Noah had one concern. That was what would, what does God say? Church, let me call us back as the church to the word of God. We can't get caught up in what the world's doing, what the world's thinking, what the world's saying. We got to get back to what Noah, he heard from God. He knew the word of God. And chapter 6, verse 22, he obeyed the word of God. That's the standard of our life. I tell you, as a believer, that's the best way to live, isn't it? To live in obedience to the word of God. Chapter 7, verse 6. Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. 600 years old. In chapter 7, verses 10 through 12, we begin to see the description of the beginning of the flood. Moses is very particular in dating the flood. See, he didn't regard the flood as being some type of ancient myth. And neither should we. As a matter of fact, the flood that we're studying today is one of the most crucial events in all of history and is cornerstone to the faith of all Christians. Because again, we see the nature of God in regards to sin and we see the provision of God in regards to His people, the grace of God. So Noah did, I mean, Moses didn't regard it as a myth. He gives us very particular, very, it came, verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month of the 17th day of the month, On the same day, that one day, all the floodgates, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. The church, I wish I could explain to you how, exactly how this happened. But we have to know two things. First of all, it was a horrific event. Let me just say that again. The flood was a horrific event. Never in history up to that point and never from that time on until we see what happens in 2 Peter. We've never had an event like this. We've had natural disasters. We've had tragedies, catastrophes. But this was a horrific event. It was horrific. It was an unusual event. It will never happen again. Why? Because we see the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Then we're told also in verse 11 that the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. Here's what happened, church. Water came upon the earth from above and from below. The fountains of the great deep burst open. What's he talking about? Turn over to Genesis chapter 1 verse 6. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. 
Water above, water below. The expanse is the earth. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. I say unusual, and it'll never happen again because the waters that were underneath the great deep burst forth. They came out. They came up, and the water came down. So the waters from above and the waters from below burst onto the earth and all living things were destroyed. This was a horrific event. There's no other way to say it. Minds can only imagine what was going on. Our minds can only imagine what was happening to people outside the ark. I think Kobe said it best last week, it makes your stomach hurt. It does. It makes your stomach hurt to think about this tragedy, the lives that were lost. 723, this is what happened. Chapter 7, verse 23. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds in the sky, And they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Let me bring this story home to us today. What do you think Noah was thinking about while he was on the ark? All that time on the water. 150 days, five months of floating on the, on the water. I want to show you something just real quick if I can. Uh, chapter 7, verse 11 says it was in the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day. Chapter 7, verse 11 says it came about in the 601st year in the first month on the, on the first month that the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. In the second month, on the seventh day, it's one year, one month, and ten days, according to the Jewish calendar. According to our calendar, one guy said it'd be exactly 365 days. My point is this. Noah was in the ark for a year. A year. Chapter 7, verse 1, God speaks to Noah and says, go on the ark, go on the ark. Chapter 8, verse 15, God speaks to Noah saying, verse 16, get off the ark. A year. And Noah and his family are in this ark. How do they feel? Frightened? Confused? Probably at times they felt forsaken by God. They hadn't heard from God in a year. God had not spoken to them. At least we have no record of that from 7-1 to 8-15. But in 8-1, look at the first verse. That God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused the wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed. And the rain from the sky was restrained. And the water receded steadily from the earth. And at at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. 
In the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. The water descended steadily until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Things are beginning to get better. But can you imagine life in this ark for a year? Here, Moses tells us that God remembered Noah. The church, let's understand. Not, don't think for a second that God forgot where Noah was. Don't think for a second that God said, oh yeah, I knew this flood thing I'd put. No. Every time in the Bible where God remembers his people or a person that tells us God is about to act. God is about to move. God remembered Rachel when she could not conceive and she conceived. Exodus chapter 2, God remembered his people who'd been in slavery in Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 2, he says, I've come down to deliver them. When God remembers, God acts. And that's what the Word of God's telling us here, that God is about to act on behalf of Noah. Let me ask this morning, have you ever felt forsaken by God? Have you ever felt that His voice is so distant and you really hadn't heard from Him in a while? And maybe, you know, maybe you've kind of, like we said, we've been suiting up and showing up Sunday after Sunday. And we've been going through the motions. But you know, there's no real vital relationship with God. God hadn't been speaking to me through His Word. I hadn't been listening to God. I hadn't been on my knees communing with my Heavenly Father the way I should, the way I know how. And God has just kind of grown distant and quiet. Maybe you hadn't, but I have. I've been there. I know what that's like. To go through extended periods of my Christian life and think, you know, I really don't know what God's saying. I'm really not sure if this is what God would have me do. I haven't heard from the voice of God. And we ask the question, where is God? Let me tell you this morning that Noah reminds us three things about God and his relationship to his people. God is faithful to his people. God remembered Noah and those on the ark. We're reminded that God is faithful to his people. First of all, God is faithful to save. God is faithful to save. Noah and his family had been saved from God's judgment. They were safely on the ark. Now, it wasn't a luxury liner. It wasn't a cruise ship. But it was salvation. Whenever that ark rested on the Mount of Ararat, they knew by the grace of God they had been spared. Can you imagine when Noah and his wife get off the ark? Let's go check. No, they're not there. Let's go see. No, they're not there. The whole earth and everybody on it had been destroyed. But Noah and his family had been spared. They'd been saved. Even though now God hadn't spoken in a while, they knew because they were talking to each other. They knew because they could look at their three sons and their wives. They knew because they had the evidence of all the animals that they had been saved. Let me tell you this morning that if you've come to Jesus, if you have trusted in Jesus, God's means of salvation for all men, then you've been saved. By the righteousness of another, you've been spared from God's judgment on sin. Now, am I trying to convince you that you're a Christian if you're not? No, I'm just trying to tell you, if you're a believer, you were saved. 
A man came to D.L. Moody one time and said, Preacher, I don't feel like a Christian. D.L. Moody said, well, was Noah saved because he felt like he was saved or because he was in the ark? He said, I understand what you're saying. He was in the ark. Let me ask you, are you in Christ today? What do I need to do with this thing? Are you in Christ today? Do you know that you've trusted in Jesus? No, I'll, I'll just keep going. I'll just keep shouting. I don't have to preach tonight. All right. Do you know that you've trusted in Christ, that you've turned from your own efforts? Do you know of a point in time when you've repented and placed your faith and trust in Christ? Then you're in Christ. You're in Christ. I remember when we were studying the book of, of Joshua over at Open Door, and we were looking at forgiveness. You know, when God instructs them to build an altar, an altar not touched by the, the tools of man, but from a natural rock altar. No man made part about an altar. Noah builds one here in a little bit. But, and then when they offered the sacrifice for the people, they were forgiven. Why? Because they'd obeyed God and did what God asked. Do you feel forgiven? I don't know. But God says, I'm forgiven. Because the sacrifice has been made. God's word says that Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. Do you believe that? Have you repented of your sin? Have you placed your faith in Christ? If you have, then you're in the ark. You're in Christ, as Paul says. And you are saved. We can, we can rejoice in his salvation. We don't have to sit around and wait until how we feel about his salvation. If we've placed our faith and trust in Christ, we're saved. According to the scripture, according to God's word, God is faithful to save. Rejoice in his salvation, regardless of your feelings. God is faithful to keep. Noah and his family had been kept through the flood. It was not a result of their resourcefulness. We don't see Ham repairing holes in the roof. We don't see Japheth pumping water out of the bottom of the boat. God protected. Who God saves, he keeps. He keeps us by his grace, by his power. Jude chapter 20, well, one chapter in Jude verse 24 says, Now to him who's able to keep you from falling, to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Now unto him we're saved by grace. Paul says, Stand strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Our responsibility is just to cling to Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to hold on to Jesus, because we're kept by Jesus. Those whom he saves, he keeps. He didn't put Noah in the ark and said, just make it the best way you can. He didn't call us to Christ and say, just make it the best way you can. We are his children. He keeps us. I love this verse in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. Again, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of another. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's who we are in Christ, his righteousness. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee. He calls us, he holds our hand, and he keeps us. I don't know this morning for sure, but in my heart, I think there's some people here today that need to hear this message. You know you're a Christian, but you're not walking with the Lord. 
You think somehow God's given up on you. You think somehow that you have separated yourself from Christ. Just go read Romans 8. We don't have time to go there. But nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do you know Christ today? God is faithful to save. God is faithful to keep. And God is faithful to provide. The Lord provided everything that Noah needed to keep him. God provided everything that Noah needed to keep him, his family, and all those animals alive. Church, we serve a big God. Do you know that? I don't care if it's 100,000 square feet or a million thousand square feet. It's a big boat. There's a lot of animals. Somebody said there were 35,000 pairs because there's 35,000 species, 70,000 animals. I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him. If he's not there, you ask him. Anyway. (laughs) But God provided. God provided food for all those animals. God provided food for Noah and his family. And let me tell you this, church. God will provide for you. God will provide for you. You know, the great thing about Noah's story is that God was concerned about the animals. I haven't mentioned that much this morning, but every time he talks about sending Noah, he sends the animal. When he tells Noah to come off, he tells the animals to come out. Jesus said the eyes of the Lord are on the sparrow. He feeds the sparrow. And if he feeds the sparrow, church, he's going to feed us. He's going to take care of us. A.W. Pink says, behind nature's laws is nature's Lord. God provides. Listen to his faithful provision. Verse 22 of chapter 8. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. God provides. Today, Toby read 2 Peter 3.15. Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. I said this is for the church, but let me throw just a truth of the gospel here today. Another truth, because we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. But if you're not a Christian, the sun came up this morning. And the Lord willing, the sun will go down tonight as a reminder to you that God is patient toward those who are going to be saved. Regard the patience of the Lord as our salvation. The fact that the sun comes up and goes down reminds us of the patience of God. The sun came up this morning. You got another chance, another opportunity, because God is patient. But one day, one day the door to the ark is going to be closed. One day the fire from heaven is going to come and the earth is going to be destroyed. The earth as we know it, there'll be a new heaven, a new earth. But today we have an opportunity to be saved. God's providing one more opportunity. God is faithful to his people. Quickly, we are called to be faithful to God. Noah's a great reminder and example to us how we should respond to God. Three things. Number one, we must trust his salvation. Noah's obedient faith is seen in building the ark. The writer of Hebrews says that by faith, Noah being warned by God, about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Noah obeyed God. We must trust his salvation. It doesn't make sense to a lot of people in the world today that one man could die for an entire people. 
It doesn't make sense that one man could go to a wooden cross and hang up there naked before the whole world and by his death bring salvation. Revelation says to people without number. I was reading that yesterday morning. How many people are going to come to Christ? People, so many that, that we can't even number them from all nations, all tribes, all tongues are going to come to this Jewish carpenter for salvation and be saved. That doesn't make sense. The foolishness of the gospel, as Kobe said last week. But we must trust his salvation. Jesus said in John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You know, when it comes to salvation, people say, how can you be so narrow-minded? Well, let me tell you this. I think there's some things we ought to be narrow-minded about. I was thankful last, whenever we got, whenever it was, when we left Manchester, England, Last Tuesday, when, did Tuesday, when we got on that plane, I'm thankful that that pilot was, a, was an absolutist. I'm thankful that that pilot knew that there was one way to get to New York City. Not that I wanted to go to New York City, but that got me home. He didn't say, you know, there's a lot of ways we could go. There's a lot of ways we can fly this plane. Any way y'all want to go will be fine. He said, no. My instrument's telling me we've got to go to this altitude. We've got to go this direction. And we're going to land at this place. 33,000 miles or something, I don't know, 3,000 miles away. He believed in one way. And church, there's only one way to be saved. There's only one man who's ever claimed that I am the way, the truth, and the life. We must trust his salvation. We must wait on his timing. You know, the passage in Peter says that people are going to say, oh, ever since the beginning of time, God, the all Christians have been talking about destruction. Y'all been saying y'all are just a bunch of hellfire, a bunch of alarm. No. What does Peter say? For with the Lord, one day is what? A thousand years. A thousand years like a day. Church, I hope Jesus comes back today. Because I'm ready, and I know you are too. But there are a lot of folks out there that are not ready. But we ought to wait on the Lord's timing. Wait on the Lord's timing. Let me just tell you, I didn't read this in any commentaries, but, but I got the idea. Look at Noah, uh, verse 6 of chapter 8. In the 40 days, Noah opened the window, and he began to send these birds out. He sent out a raven. It flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove and, uh, to see if the water was abated from the face of the earth. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her feet, so she remained to him. She returned to him in the ark. For the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he sent out, put out his hand and he took her and brought her into the ark to himself. So he waited yet another seven days and again he sent out a dove. Now it's common, they say, you know, one of the most primitive forms of navigation was to use birds. Have you ever been to one of those funerals where they release those birds at the, the grave site and they'll go, ooh, ooh, and then wow. Where do they go? Go home. That's why you call them homing pigeons. So Noah did what he thought was natural. He started sending out these birds. Where are they going to go? You know, again, I don't know. My opinion is he got anxious. He'd been there almost a year. What's going on out there? Let's try to find out. I'm going to send out some birds. I'm going to do what I know I need to do. But look at 8.15. God spoke to Noah. Go out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives. Church, let me tell you, we we can do the best we can, and I appreciate that. But you wait on the Lord. You wait till God speaks. 
So many times we get anxious about who we're going to marry. We get anxious about a job, a dead-end job. I want to do this. I don't want to do that. We get anxious about finances. And you wait until God speaks. Until God gives you clear direction. Until God says, this is the way. Walk in it. And when he tells you that, you don't go to the right. You don't go to the left. You walk the way God tells you to walk. As God's people, we need to trust his salvation. We must wait on his timing. And then last, we must make worship a priority. Look at chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took of every clean animal. Now, where did these animals come from? Remember? Brought in seven of the clean ones. Yeah, again, the story with, where Shem asked Noah one day, he said, Noah, can I go fishing from the ark? He said, yes, son, go e- you can go fishing, but go easy on the bait. We only got two worms. You know, but here we see we got seven clean animals. And so Noah could take one of each type of clean animal and still have six pairs of clean animals to eat a little later on and then also to worship. But Noah took, we're reading, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. The the Hebrew there actually goes into a, a restfulness. God was put at rest. You know what Noah's name means? It means to rest. Noah was created to rest. Noah was created to worship. You and I are created to worship. We're created in the image of God to worship God. Noah had a lot of things he had to do. He had to empty the ark. He had to build a house. had to plant a garden. But the first thing Noah did was he worshiped God. Church, we we must make worship a priority. A priority. Noah offered a sacrifice. The first altar we see in Scripture, he offered, he killed an animal as a substitute for himself and his family to worship God. Why? We saw this in Cain's offering. There's no altar mentioned there. But sin must be dealt for. The wages of sin is what? Death. The soul that sins shall surely what? Die. And so Noah offered an animal on an altar. And God smelled the burning. As I said, it's got to be similar to a steak on the grill. Nothing smells better. God was pleased. He was put at rest. He was satisfied. And Noah worshipped God. See, the flood didn't change man's heart. God says that again. I will never again curse the ground on account of him. Verse 21 for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Man's heart's still the same. We're still sinners. But there is a way to worship God. Today we come to the Lord's table because one gave his life for us. The one we call the Lamb of God, whose blood was shed in our place, who took our sin upon his body that we might be forgiven in His name. Church, the message this morning is to you. God is faithful. God hadn't forgotten about you. God desires to care for you. God wants want to remind you this morning, God's already saved you. 
God's already saved you. Trust in his timing. Trust in his provision. But remember that worship is our priority. We're created to worship. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the story of Noah. Father, I pray if there's one here today that does not know you, that today would be the day. Today would be the day that they would hear the good news that one has died in their place. That one has taken their sin upon himself. That one has conquered death because he was raised from the grave. And he has ascended into heaven with a promised return to restore and receive his people to himself. And he is coming again. For a day is like a thousand years and thousand years like a day with the Lord. But he is coming again to receive his people. Lord, I pray today if there's one here today who needs to turn from their sin and repentance and trust Christ, that today would be that day. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them of sin and judgment. Father, I pray for Christians who feel forsaken. Maybe it's because they've forsaken you. They've turned their back on you. Lord, thank you that today could be the day where we return to a close, intimate relationship with a God who loved us and who provided everything for us. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move and work during this time of invitation to do what only you can do for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.